Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 122 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brienne. Today's guest comes to us again from our friends over at Interview Valet, and her name is Meredith Bell. Meredith says that experts estimate that in most companies, 70 to 90% of their investment in learning and development is wasted because participants don't apply what they've learned. This means that they don't get the return on investment that they hoped for. Meredith knows why this happens and what you can do to improve that ROI. She spent the past 30 years working to create products and books that help people master communication skills. She has a deep understanding of what you can do to ensure that your learning and development programs stick. And it all has to do with connection. So throughout this conversation, you're going to hear Meredith and I talk a lot about being able to connect and let that learning stick. Because after all, if you're going to spend the money on it, you may as well get that return on that investment. So with that, I'm going to go ahead, get out of the way, let the stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Meredith Bell. Meredith, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Earl. I'm very excited to be with you. Oh, I cannot wait to have this conversation because uh, it's a topic that's very near and dear to me. Uh, But before we kind of let that cat out of the bag. Let me go ahead and start you off with the same place I start all of my guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, I have to say I translate it in my mind because I don't think of, you know, command and control uh, as, you know, what's happening anymore. But I translate it to responsibilities instead of burden for having authority as a leader. And so those words convey to me, uh, the word responsibility to me has a couple of different things as it relates to this phrase, burden of command, because you do have responsibility, sort of the burden of being self-aware so you understand and appreciate the role you've taken on, but also responsibilities around the people who are on your team. Because in that position of authority that you have, you've got power and you need to use it appropriately so that you are really concentrating on the well-being of the people who work with you, not just the work they produce. Mm. 
No, I like that. I like that a lot. And you're right. I mean, responsibility is a great way to to put it. And, uh, you know, that's one of the, the goals I had with this podcast was to really uh, kind of get people thinking about that word, because that, that phrase, the burden of command, gets used quite a bit, uh, especially by uh, older leaders. I'll, I'll use that term because I consider myself in that that generation as well. Uh and it, it always has kind of a negative connotation to it because of the way it's been used in the past, that kind of command and control type of leadership. But, you know, what I like about it is is what you said and what a lot of my respondents have come to the, the realization is, is, you know, the, the burden piece is really just about that responsibility that we have to take care of those who follow us. And, you know, that when you look at the word burden in the dictionary, it just says a heavy load. And and that's that is a heavy responsibility to to have the livelihood and the well being of that many people uh, directly related to your leadership ability, right? Mm-hmm. Except, you know, one thing I would say is it relieves that sense of it being a burden if you recognize that the people who are working with you are very capable of thinking doing, you know, working independently. And so when you think of it as a shared burden or a shared responsibility, it doesn't feel quite so heavy because you know that, you know, this is a team of people that are all wanting to contribute. And so we can lose sight of that and take on more than we need to at times, which then, of course, produces stress and overwhelm and burnout and all the negative things we don't want. Ah, exactly. No, I love that because that is 100% true. And we see it all the time. We, we see too many people who think they have to be everything to everybody. And that is exactly what happens to them as they burn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, on that note, so I kind of mentioned in the pre-roll bio, uh, but your book is Connect With Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. Now, what I really love about this is the way you handle uh, communication as not just a leadership skill, but you you call it uh, you call them relationship building skills, and and I know my longtime listeners here now are probably already queued up with what I'm getting ready to say. What I love about that is leadership is really just another relationship, right? Absolutely. And these skills that you've got here, and and, and I think we'll we'll talk about them. You know, a few of these. I want to. I want to leave enough out here because I want my listeners to go out and buy copies of this book because it is a great book for anybody who's in a leadership role. But these skills that Meredith has has identified here are, they'll help you at work. They'll help you in your social life. They'll help you in your personal life. They are great skills that will help you in pretty much every aspect of your life. So with that, I got to ask, like, how did you get, how did you kind of master plan and get into writing this book? Oh, thank you, Earl. Well, it was, uh, let's see, at least 30 years in the making. And I say that because my my two business partners and I have worked together for 30 years. And one of them, Denny Coates, and I were consultants uh, for many years and trainers and worked with leaders and teams. And the core of what we focused on with them was communication skills. So we just decided, well, back in 94, 
we became a software company and created assessment and development tools around those skills. And we just decided it was time for us to put all of our knowledge and experience into book form so we could reach more people because we knew, and it's so sad, but so much of the pain and suffering in the workplace is around miscommunication or lack of communication. And people just aren't taught these skills in school or at home. You know, parents do the best they can without having had formal training in these skills. And so we just wanted to put in one place a simple process for being able to learn how to listen well, get feedback, all the different skills that are in there, put it in a simple step-by-step form so people don't feel this is you know, complicated, difficult, is going to require, you know, really uh, going through a, an in-depth course to get it. It does require practice, but the the simplicity of each of these skills, you know, we just wanted to lay it out there. Well, I think you did a wonderful job because these are uh, these are skills that probably a lot of people have at least heard of before but maybe not put together quite the same way that you have. And I think the way that, that you all have done this is, is brilliant. Um, and I especially like the fact that in the book, you have it broke down in parts. In part one, you start with three things you need to know. And the very first one is they have to want to. So why is that something that somebody needs to know before they start uh, kind of trying to build this communication relationship? Well, you know, Earl, employee engagement is such a big, you know, topic and has been for years. This idea of what can we do to engage people? Well, to me, the foundation is, you know, what to first find out, you know, what is it they're currently doing? Are they giving their best? And if not, why not? Are we putting obstacles in their way? Are we not setting the stage in a way that that really brings out the best in other people. And so we have to recognize, you know, people are not animals or, you know, they all have their own thoughts, feelings, attitudes, and we can tap into that. But too often we don't ask, you know, simple questions. And that's really a core thing in a number of chapters in the book is asking questions So just to sit down and have a conversation with someone on your team about, you know, what's important to you? What do you feel is the best way for you to make a contribution based on our charge and what we need to get done? And how would you like to, you know, contribute more? If we just ask some of these simple questions, we'd be amazed at how people perk up at the idea that they're going to be able to have input and actually participate in structuring what they do. That's where the want to comes in when they feel like they are, um, you know, actively engaged in the process of deciding what needs to be done and who's going to do it. No, and I love that because, you know, I mean, I think that's what's, what's so powerful about that is because that's what most leaders fail to do is, you know, they, they think that they have to have this leadership, uh, knows everything type of role. And 
they think that they already have to have the answer. So they sometimes come in maybe sounding a little preachy than a little inquisitive, right? Absolutely. I think one of the key strengths that a leader can develop is curiosity to, to not feel the need to, you know, uh, give advice or provide the solution, but to always be asking the other person, well, what do you think? Because that starts, you know, teaching the other person, hey, they're not, I don't have to go to them for every, you know, problem I encounter. This manager actually is encouraging me to think for myself and to come up with my own solution. And, and I think that's huge for morale, for people feeling valued, because we all really enjoy getting stretched, even though in the moment it might feel a little uncomfortable. The idea that we have the, the opportunity to grow, learn, and think for ourselves is huge in the workplace. That doesn't stop when we graduate from you know, high school or college. Yeah, no. And, and I'll tell you, you know, coming from my background in the Marines, you know, that was one of the things that was really hard for me to to get used to in the beginning was, you know, one of my sergeants always said, there, there's no problems, just solutions you haven't found yet. And before we could bring an issue to them, you know, we were expected to come up with at least two solutions. Now, you know, they may be terrible solutions. The, the, the point wasn't that that was what we were going to do. It was kind of what you were saying. They wanted us to think about how, if we could have all the resources we needed and we could wave a magic wand, how would we solve the problem and then bring it And nine times out of 10, you know, we either talked about the solutions or uh, they use it as a teaching moment to help us look at the problem a little bit different to come up with a different solution. And, and I see that as something that is critically missing in a lot of engagements uh, kind of in the civilian sector is, you know, people are, when it, even when an employee is brave enough to bring forth a solution, sometimes, a lot of times, the leader maybe feels threatened by that, almost like the, the person can be on their own without them. And that really should be a good sign, shouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, to me, one of the signs of an effective leader is having people around you that don't feel they have to come to you about every little thing, that they feel empowered to, you know, think through, even try out solutions. You know, you have to determine what level of uh, decision you want to give them. But it's huge when, when people feel that they can think it through. It just takes the encouragement of the leader. And you're absolutely right, Earl. When people, um, when leaders, you know, set aside their ego and really think about, you know, what's in the best interest of this person, what do I want them to be doing a year from now in this regard? You know, how can I help them develop the skill they need in order to perform at the level I want them to perform? You quickly realize telling, advising, providing solutions is not the way to go. And it's it's actually kind of detrimental to the organization, in my in my opinion. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
because, you know, we're, we're in this great generational shift in a lot of the leadership roles. And we're talking a lot with leaders about succession planning. And if you aren't enabling folks to be able to come up with these solutions to kind of take on that self-leadership role, you're really kind of hampering that that succession planning piece because you're not enabling leaders to be leaders that you need to take over, right? Yes. And part of the issue that gets involved with a with a leader who's reluctant, you know, to loosen the reins like that is, you know, having this need to be needed. It gives them a sense of importance that people rely on them as opposed to thinking about it in terms of how can I create independence from me? So I'm able to more, you know, from a higher perspective, see what's going on and not be in the middle of everything, which is where the others need to be able to work on their own. Mm, I love it. I love it. So part two, now again, there were three things that you need to know in part one. So so listeners, you got two more things that you got to go get the book to find out what those things are. Uh, part two, though, gets into the top 10 relationship building skills. Now, as I said, when we were talking kind of in the, the pre-show workup here, I love the fact that you used relationship, and I've already talked about that a little bit, but it's true because these things are going to help you at your home life. They're going to help you in your social life. They're going to help you uh, in your leadership journey. They're, you'd be a better coworker. You know, these are just things that are going to help you be a better person, building stronger relationships in all aspects of your life. And so I really like the fact that you use relationship building skills. And you start off with one that I, I really, really love, and it's listen to understand. But I'm curious, what does that mean to you? Well, to uh, to me, listening is the foundation skill of all the others that you see there. Because if we don't know how to listen well, then we're not going to really get what the other person is trying to tell us. And that's where the word understand comes in. Because we can listen at a somewhat superficial or even distracted level and get pieces of what someone is saying. But if we're not, you know, even on a Zoom call, if we're not looking at them face to face to detect their body language or facial expressions or tone of voice, we're not really going to understand what's going on because there may be some signal they're sending us, even though their words say, what they want to say. There's other messages they're sending us that make up the entire message. And so it's really important to pay attention to all of those and then to check because listening is not where you just passively sit and let the other person talk nonstop. It's active. It requires a lot of effort because you're checking in with the person periodically to say, well, it sounds like you're saying this. Do I have that right? Or, wow, you sound really upset about that, and then pursue it with another question. So you're, you're checking along the way, because we don't always get it right, as you know. We yeah. think we understand, and sometimes we make assumptions and how we respond that's totally off base. And so we waste time in conversations by not listening well, so that we can check periodically. The other aspect of understanding 
is around empathy to truly get, you know, and, and put ourselves in that other person's shoes. So we don't just hear what they're thinking. We, we, we connect with what they're feeling and let them know, you know, just to say things like, wow, I, I, I think you're really frustrated over this situation. Or are you just asking, are you frustrated? That's what I'm hearing just so they can respond and say, well, yeah, wouldn't you be? Or no, 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 that's not it. I'm just disappointed. So they can then articulate what those feelings are. But the key to understanding is really giving your full attention to that individual. So they feel really that they're the most important in your world, most important person in your world in that moment. And, and that is, yeah, no, I, I really, I really appreciate what you're saying there because it's true. Cause a lot of people get caught, especially when it's a, a heated subject, people aren't really listening to, to learn and, and, and grow. They're listening for the pause and conversation so they can respond. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and, and the other thing that I, I love about what you're, you're talking about here. And this is, you know, something I, I say when I'm talking about communications is, you know, communication is not so much about what you say. It's way more about what is heard and, and that checking for, for clarity of what you were trying to say is so important. And, and there's a lot of ways you can do that. Right. So what, what, other than just asking, you know, the question like, how are some ways that, that people can make sure that what they're saying is, is, is effectively being conveyed? Are you talking about the speaker now or the listener? Well, I would say both actually, like, cause mm-hmm. the, the, the listener has a little bit of responsibility too, to make sure that they're understanding what the person's trying to say. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, the speaker can pause for one thing periodically and just say, uh, does what I'm saying make sense? Or please share with me, what have you heard me say so far? We're not looking for the listener to regurgitate word for word what the person said, but the speaker wants to know that the listener has gotten the meaning of what they're saying and potentially the emotion too, the whole package, in other words, that they've really uh, received that message. And one of the other aspects on the listener side is, is really blocking out your own, you know, thoughts. And as you mentioned, response. So a listening situation is not like just having a regular conversation. It's where someone is trying to tell you something important and you have to put yourself in the role of this is what we call a listening moment. And so I want to make sure I get this message. And so both of them can take, you know, responsibility at any point of saying, here's what I understand you to say, or the speaker can say, tell me what you've gotten so far out of what I've shared with you. Yeah, no, again, I like that because, you know, I'll give you an example here and, and, uh, you know, maybe you have some that you can share as well, but you know, I was working with an organization and they were going through some budget issues. And uh, the leader of the organization was was briefing out on the budget and casually mentioned uh, how much it costs to bring in a new employee versus promoting somebody that was already in the organization. 
Well, lo and behold, the next like five or six in a row hiring uh, hiring practices that they they conducted, they promoted within the ranks, and so they weren't actually bringing in any new blood. And so when the leader came down and asked, you know, see, you know, I've noticed this. This is good. But why did we go from primarily outside hires to now we're promoting folks internally? The response was, well, you told us we should promote internally because it was cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, that was a classic example of that's not anything what they said, but it was what was heard. And it changed, you know, the course of people's lives because some people maybe got promoted that shouldn't have. And some people didn't get hired that maybe should have. Right. Mm. Yes. And, you know, part of what you're getting at there, Earl, is um, making it safe uh, for people to ask questions when they're not sure, you know, especially in a group setting like that, you know, for somebody to raise their hand and say, um, you know, just want to check what, what you just said. Are you saying you prefer that we promote people internally instead of hiring externally because it saves the company money, you know, to, to, in a group setting to be able to ask clarifying questions is really important because, as you said, a lot of people can hear something and then act upon it when that was not the intent of the speaker at all. So I think taking responsibility to ask questions on both sides is really important. Mm. So one of the other uh, relationship building skills that you talk about in the book is guide learning from experience. Mm -hmm. Now, what's saying to me from this one is because I I I, uh, I love history, and that's where I I feel that I learn my most lessons from is history, and I think that's a kind of what you're talking about here, but maybe it's personal history, right? It is more personal history, uh, looking at when somebody, you know, on your team makes a mistake, maybe they don't treat a customer the way you thought they should have. You observed them, you know, being not necessarily rude, but interrupting or, or being defensive. And instead of, you know, taking them to the side and say, what the heck were you thinking? And you know, name calling or berating them in some way and then telling them what they should have done, getting them to think through what happened and what they could do differently in the future is really important. And it's a series of questions that they can ask. And the other way to use this is for yourself, because we all make mistakes. You know, we all uh, wish we could, you know, turn the clock back at times to replay something that we've said or done. And so going through these questions helps you extract the learnings from that experience so that the next time you're in a similar situation, you handle it better. And so there are some basic questions, and I'd be happy to share them if you'd like. Oh, please do. Okay. So the first one is to think of, to, and by the way, these work very well for a parent-child relationship, too. So they work everywhere because kids, of course, make lots of mistakes. <laughs> and parents tend to jump in and feel like they need to correct them and tell them what they need to do next time. But it's much more effective to ask questions. So the first one is, what happened? 
so that you get at the facts of, you know, this, then this, then this. And also, how did you feel about it? So you're finding out, do they feel embarrassed? Do they feel sad? You know, what's going on with them emotionally in addition to think of it as the left brain and the right brain combined in those um, first two questions. And then once they describe that, then to find out, well, why did it happen that way? In other words, what was their motivation? What were they thinking? What did they think the other person was going to do or think? Or, you know, so just getting at understanding themselves in the moment, what they were thinking and feeling. And then the third question gets at, okay, so what was the outcome? Or what were the consequences? Did it turn out the way you hoped it would? Or did something go wrong? And so that's why we're having this conversation, because you didn't have it turn out the way you hoped. And then the fourth question is, well, what would you do differently next time? So that the person is now visualizing how they would like to have it be in a future situation. And that's part of rewiring the brain for a new skill is when we picture ourselves and we kind of mentally rehearse what we want the future to look like when we're in that same situation. And that's huge. And then the last step you can ask is, okay, so what's next? What are you going to do now to kind of synthesize this learning and move on from it? Mm. No, I love that because that's that's kind of uh, you know the the psychology behind it. They they talk about appreciative inquiry, which is essentially yes. what you went through there, and, and and it's so powerful because you know I mean it, it's very easy to just come in and kind of w- when something goes wrong, you know, no matter what it is, it's very easy to get mad, get angry, and and come in and you know what the heck happened here, right? But coming at it from that understanding tone and trying to really figure it out because you could legitimately scar that employee and and now they're essentially useless because you handled that situation poorly versus being able to take them through this learning exercise. And now you've got a much better, much stronger employee on the other end, right? Exactly. Yeah. We, we tend to underestimate sometimes the emotional impact we have on other people, whether it's our children or our employees, when we react emotionally to a specific situation instead of approaching it calmly, even neutrally, as it, you know, this, I'll go back to the word curiosity, you know, uh, and let's say it's somebody you've observed being uh, maybe rude to what you perceive as rude to a customer. Something you know, you're at the tail end of it, the customer's walking out angry. And so to just have a conversation with the person, hey, I noticed Mrs. Brown left uh and and she looked upset. What what happened? And so get the person to tell you from their perspective, and then you can ask additional questions. But also, you know, it's important to affirm the person if they are normally a stellar employee and they had this one, you know, bad day, we don't, without asking, we don't know if they had something at home that was difficult for them or something else that's going on in their lives that they brought into work that day. 
And so to get them to think about, you know, this is a valued customer, um, what do you what do you think we might do or what could you do to turn the situation around so that she feels welcome back the next time she comes and get the person to come up with something they will do because they take responsibility for it. And, you know, you could suggest a couple of things if they come up totally blank, but I prefer to keep asking questions and just sit quietly. See, we hate silence, right, Earl? (laughs) We're uncomfortable with asking a question and then there be a pause. And yet we're giving the person time to think if we Mm -hmm. sit quietly and wait instead of jumping in and feeling like the compulsion to provide the answer and instead just wait because they will eventually say something. Yeah, no, again, and I love that. And I love what you said there about, you know, taking, taking the time to think kind of to those next levels, you know, one of the shields I I talk about here with the, the shields of the leadership phalanx is uh, build relationships and look out for your team. Mm -hmm. And, And and that's what you just talked about there. You know, it, it's not a bad thing to have these conversations and have these, you know, professional, sometimes a little personal relationship with the people you work with and, you know, know their family, know, are they married? Do they have kids? Uh, you know, just by having casual conversation, you can find out, you know, what their religious beliefs are, what their political beliefs are. And, and the key is, you know, don't, don't use that against them, even if you have opposing beliefs, but use that to kind of inform your leadership decisions, like what you're talking about. If if you talk to somebody and they casually mention, uh, you know, that, that let's say their spouse is going through a health issue, and then you have that encounter that Meredith was talking about, then you know, uh, is everything okay with, with your spouse? And it's so valuable. Like employees... Uh, it was uh, Brene Brown. I believe she, she put it the best when she said, people give a damn if you give a damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, that's huge, Earl. This whole thing of genuinely caring about the well-being of another person and demonstrating that in the way you ask them questions, when you notice that they may be down or you know, not themselves, you notice and you comment and you invite them to tell you what's going on without pressuring them to do it. Because part of, you know, developing good relationships at work is respecting other people's space. Some folks will be glad to open up. Others really don't want to talk about it. But to know that you paid attention and noticed that there was something different going on is really huge. It registers on an emotional level. And that's a key component, you know, of people really enjoying their work, wanting to come into to the job because they feel appreciated and valued. And that's why we have a whole chapter on expressing appreciation, because that's not done enough. Because too often, um, and I would say this is more true of older bosses, of which I would be one. But, but I think that there, there's a certain attitude sometimes, well, that's what we pay them for. I don't need to be praising them all the time. And that's while that's true, people really like having someone notice 
that they are making a, a big effort on behalf of this organization and to be acknowledged for that, not necessarily in front of a group. Some people would hate that, but just those one-on-one -on -one conversations where you say, hey, you know, I noticed you've been coming in early the last three days to make sure we get this project done on time. I just want you to know how much I appreciate your going the extra mile to do that for the team. That kind of thing just, you know, it, it pays dividends um, because, again, it, it demonstrates to the person that you noticed and that you took time to comment on it and appreciate them. We all, every human being has a need to be appreciated no matter what level of success they achieve. And so if we recognize that, we kind of keep our radar up to look for moments when we see somebody doing something really well and comment on it. Even at the grocery store, Earl, you can do this everywhere. When I check out at the grocery store, if that cashier has been, you know, efficient and quick, I thank them at the end. I say, thank you for being so efficient. I really appreciate it. And I look them in the eye when I say that. And nobody does that, you see. And so just paying attention to the people around us and how can we elevate their lives, even if it's just a little bit in the moment, it makes a huge difference. And, and, and the elevate the their lives part, I love the way you put that because it's so true. Because when you do that, you can visibly see a change in that person. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I love it. Cause I, I do the same thing is whenever, you know, I get great customer service. I, uh, I'm the guy that most of the time, if I ask to speak to the manager, it's for a good reason. Uh, you know, and the manager mm -hmm. even is like, Oh goodness, here comes somebody complaining again. And when I give praise, they're like, Whoa, that never happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you really stand out and imagine as a leader, if you really, you know, kept your radar up to notice what people are doing right instead of what they're doing wrong and commented on the positive things, you're reinforcing the behaviors you want. Mm -hmm. And people are more excited about delivering for a leader who does that. Well, and I think that's the thing. You know, we were talking about, you know, words earlier and what they, they really mean. And and so, you know, accountability is one of those that has really been co-opted to mean, you know, something negative, to mean that you're going to be punished, to mean that, that you're going to have a stern talking to. Mm -hmm. and, and the truth is, accountability is simply holding people accountable to the standards and Praise is a part of that. If you're meeting the standards or exceeding the standards, accountability is doing what you're talking about. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we got to – I love that because we need more of that. We need more people catching people doing things right than wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just such an impact on, on, on the people. You know, there, there's that statistic floating around about the 70% disengaged employees – how many of those employees do you think ever really got praised for the things that they do? Probably not very often, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, so many people, Earl, are just starved for, for, you know, positive feedback, for some simple recognition that, by golly, we appreciate what it is you're doing for us. Because maybe they don't get it at home at all. And so at work, they're looking for it. And if it doesn't ever come, it's, it's very demoralizing. 
And it's not to say, you know, we all need to be our own best cheerleader. Yes, we do. Uh, but it sure means a lot when somebody important to us, like our manager, notices and and comments on it and affirms that in us. Because, like I said, it reinforces our desire to do more of that when we have somebody you know, that, that recognize that and never assume that somebody is too successful or too self-assured to appreciate getting feedback like that. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to combine uh, two here. We've kind of been talking about them already is, you know, give feedback constructively and accept feedback graciously. Uh-huh. And, and those are, I'm, again, I love the fact that you put both of those in there because, you know, we, we struggle with that. Again, a lot of people, when they talk about giving feedback, they really want to focus on the negatives because they think, hey, we're helping you grow. And then when somebody does get praised, it's sometimes a little hard to, uh, well, even if it's negative, right? People are a little, if it's not done appropriately, the person receiving the message can either get too much into, oh, hey, I've got this in the bag and go into cruise control mode or, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired. Mm-hmm. And so giving this type of feedback appropriately is super critical, right? Well, it is. And that's why we recommend, you know, what's commonly known as a sandwich approach where you you, you give the context by saying, you know, Normally, Sue, you are just a star at this particular thing, but yesterday you did this, and I need to, you know, talk to you about that. And so you describe very specifically the behavior that caused the problem and the impact it had, because it's the, the, you know, it doesn't help the person to be vague in general. It needs to be very specific. And then the ending part of the sandwich, if you will, is to assure them that you're there for them, you're going to support them, and also make sure they have understood the feedback. So, you know, you want to wrap up by getting them as the listener of this to say back to you, what do they understand was the problem with what they said or did, and what is it they're going to commit to doing going forward, because reaching agreements with people is a key part of work instead of saying, and in the future, you better not do this or else, you know, threats don't help, but getting the person, and this kind of overlaps with the, you know, get buy-in for expectations, you reach agreements as adults. Yes, I commit to doing this. And therefore, that's where you as the manager can hold them accountable in the future if they said they were going to follow through and do something, but they don't do it, now you can address that. And I like the definition of accountability that means count on me. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, I'm going to be watching over your back closely for when you mess up. It's, hey, you can count on me to check in with you and, um, and you know, make sure you're doing what you said you would do and just bringing it to your attention if you don't. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this can go all the way to if you come to the conclusion that that person is not a fit for the organization and you need to let them go. You, you can apply this to that situation as well, right? Absolutely. And this is where, 
you know, too often we overlook giving feedback to people because it's uncomfortable for us, it's uncomfortable for them, and we hope it'll go away or, you know, they'll figure it out themselves. But usually it just gets worse and our resentment festers. And so it's really not a good idea to ignore it. And so as you bring feedback to people and you can, you know, if it reaches the point you have to bring it up again, that's when you start documenting. And so that, you know, you've got this paper trail of different um, times that you've had the conversation with the person and yet there was still non-compliance. So yes, if, if it turns out they have to be let go for whatever that infraction is, you have, you know, kept a record that can then be used to make the case. Yeah, no, I love that. And so I'm going to uh, leave those there. I think we've given quite a few of the, uh, of the 10 skills. And again, folks, I highly, highly, highly encourage you uh, to grab a copy of Connect With Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. And uh, one thing I want to ask before we start working on closing things out here is in part three, The Path to Mastery, uh, you talk about how you can continuously improve over time. So you know, what is a quick tip or two on how people can continuously improve their communications over time? Well, a key piece of that, Earl, is to <laughs> receive feedback, ask for and receive feedback. So if you've made a commitment, let's say, to listening better and you want to stop interrupting people, just as an example, you've been told, hey, that's a real issue. And so you make a commitment to do it. Well, then continuously improving means you check in with the people who interact with you on a regular basis and simply ask, have you noticed any difference in my, you know, interrupting? Am I allowing you to finish your sentences more often? Just as an example. And that's a way for you to have an opportunity to get real, real live data input from people that say, well, yeah, now that you mention it, because everybody's really focused on their own world. They're not really focused on what you are working on in your own development, um, unless maybe they're your spouse. <laughs> but in the workplace, everybody's got a lot to do. And so reminding them that this is something you're working on and checking in with them allows you to, and then also this is a great tip from Marshall Goldsmith, is to ask for what he calls feed forward. You know, what's one thing I could do to be more effective in this area? And so when you get that kind of input, that's a gift because the person is telling you, here, here is what would make our relationship better if you would do this more or do that less. And so recognizing that it takes rewiring of the brain to master a new skill. And the challenge we have, Earl, with, with um, these interpersonal skills is we already have them. It's just that some of them aren't serving us well. So we've got this hard wiring in our brain. It's like a super highway already. And now we want to introduce a new way of doing it that's like a gravel road that's bumpy and uncomfortable. <laughs> and so it takes time to practice and repeat over and over, the new way of doing that skill so that the old way becomes the road in disrepair. And now we have a new highway that runs better. 
And so that takes practice. And so getting people to support you. In fact, Denny wrote a second book called Peer Coaching Made Simple, where people can support each other as they're working on improving their communication skills. And I think that's a key for continuous improvement is having a support system. So you're not doing it. You don't feel like you're doing it by yourself. No, I, that's great. Uh, I really do like that. And it reminds me. So uh, real quick story here. I've got a friend uh, who, when they left the the army, they were running into some feedback that a lot of folks, when they come out of the military, especially after a long career run into, and it's like, you're acting too much like you're still in the military. And so uh, he devised this plan. Uh, you know, he was doing kind of what you're talking about here and he went out and he found, uh, you know, the old bells, like a service counter bell. Mm-hmm. And he only had three people on his staff and he gave each, uh, gave each one of them a bell. And he told them, said, when I'm doing it, ring the bell. And <laughs> so, you know, they would sit there and in a meeting, if he started, you know, getting quote to military, and that was his cue to reel it back in. And he, he, you know, that was his little mechanism there. And I thought that was pretty, thought it was pretty ingenious there. That was. And, you know, it can be just as simple as uh, many years ago, Denny tended to interrupt Paula and me. And we finally said, you know, this is not working. So, And he's former military, too, by the way. He's oh, retired army. Mm-hmm. And so he would interrupt us because he thought he knew what we were going to say or he was in a hurry. And we finally said, "Uh uh-uh, that won't work. So we came up with a couple of things, our equivalent of the bell. One was to simply, if we were in an in-person meeting, to hold our hand up like a stop sign. And that was his cue to be quiet because we hadn't finished. And the other thing that we still use with each other today, because we all can interrupt each other, right, is we simply say, I wasn't done yet. And that causes the other person that interrupted to go, oh, sorry, and let the other person finish. We don't make a big deal of it. We don't get our egos all wrapped around the axle. We just back off and say, oh, sorry. So it's a way of supporting each other and yet bringing it to the attention of the person who needs to be aware of it. No, that that's great. I like that. And uh well, look, Meredith, we've been talking here for we're approaching uh, we're approaching 50 minutes here. And this has just been a fantastic conversation. I want to uh, thank you very much for having it with me and my listeners today. Well, it's been such a pleasure to be with you. I'm passionate about this topic, so I love talking about it because, as I said earlier, there's just so much pain and suffering at work and at home around these communication issues. And we really want to help ease the pain by providing some, you know, real world, simple solutions. Yeah, no, again, I I really appreciate the work that y'all are doing. And this is a great, great book. And, uh, you know, listeners, again, I'm going to have a link to it. So I'm challenging you to go grab a copy of this. This will really change your communication game and help you build better relationships uh, throughout your life. Uh, but before we close out here, Meredith, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you'd like to leave the listeners with? You know, it's sort of a thread that's been underlying everything we've said. But I think if we can simply have the attitude of what can I do to, you know, bring light to this situation, to help this other person leave our conversation better than when we started so that we 
set aside our need to be right, our need to, you know, correct someone, and we simply engage with another human being in a way that allows them to feel respected, to maintain their dignity, and and we ask questions that bring out their own capabilities, those kind of interactions have a healing effect, I think, on anyone uh, in the workplace or at home. I love that. That is a great, uh, great piece of advice to, to kind of end with, because I agree uh, completely there. So Meredith, through the course of this conversation, we've talked uh, a lot about uh, the book that you wrote with uh, Dr. Denny Coates, uh, Connect with Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. Folks, hopefully, are taking my advice and they want to get a copy of the book, but maybe they want to work with you and Denny and maybe have you come talk to their organization, something like that. Uh, what is a great way for them to reach out to you and find out more about what you all offer and uh, maybe grab a copy of the book? Sure. Uh, the best place to go is our website, which is growstrongleaders.com. Growstrongleaders.com. Our homepage has information, uh, in fact, a video about the Connect book and the peer coaching book and how they can be used together throughout an organization. Because too often employees don't have the opportunity to attend training and, and learn these skills. So we have that. And there's a, a button right there about scheduling a call with me if you would like to know more. Also, we have the listening chapter excerpted as its own standalone ebook that I would like to let our, uh, your listeners know about. And that's at growstrongleaders.com slash BOC for burden of command. Outstanding. Well, thank you very much for that. I always appreciate that when when guests uh, do a little something special for the listeners there because, uh, you know, I, I just I love that uh, that level of care. So thank you very much for that. Um, so, again, Meredith, thank you for being a guest with us today. I really appreciate everything you had to say. I uh, appreciate what the book has to say. And I really appreciate your mission. And I wish you all the success in the world with it. So just thank you very much for being a guest today. Oh, Earl, thank you for having me. And thank you for the great work that you are doing in the world. It's important. Well, thank you for that. And and listeners, we couldn't do any of this without you. So thank you for being with us today and spending the time with Meredith and, and me in this conversation. I do encourage you to go pick up a copy of the book. Uh, look into uh, those links that will be in the show notes for you so we make it nice and easy. And uh, again, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Um, keep rating, reviewing, subscribing to the show, and sharing it out so great messages like what Meredith has can get spread further and, and reach more people and make a bigger impact in the world. They're important messages. With that, thank you very much for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. 
Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.